How's it going everybody and welcome to Found Flicks. On this inning explain, we're continuing our look at the VHS series with VHS 2, aka SVHS. This time it's a whole new collection of cursed tales as we follow the search for a missing student. A pair of PIs break into his house and discover a collection of VHS tapes. Viewing the horrific contents of each, they realize there may be dark motives behind the student's disappearance. After the success of VHS, a sequel was quickly rushed into production and came out a scant one year after the first. Yet impressively, the quality does feel like an improvement overall, and the lows aren't quite as low this time. So, nice job, guys. Each at least has some merit as well as creativity to warrant its inclusion. Yet they still aren't all bangers, of course. And the potential issue for VHS 2 is one segment stands so head and shoulders over all the others, they simply cannot measure up. If you're a fan of the series, you already know I'm talking about Safe Haven. And then after that, we have the at least still better than before Alien Entry. But when that one ends after the high of Safe Haven, you're kind of just like, no. Not to say that the others are bad, as again, they are improvements over the original. And as it goes, there are many lingering questions left behind in each of our stories, even Safe Haven. So let's check out VHS 2, breaking down each segment and their endings, as well as the wraparound that hints at a bigger connective story starting to come into focus. Things begin appropriately enough with a VCR whirring to life and a tape starts to play. And we're already thrust into another presumably ill-fated tale. A PI Larry is following a couple on their way to a motel room. Things soon get steamy and he captures the whole thing before getting spotted by a maid. This also alerts the guy inside who chases him down demanding the camera. He is able to speed away from the scene and later with his associate Aisha, they phone the guy to drive up his payday. It was his wife that hired him, but he won't show her the tape if he pays him even more. Nice going, Larry, you sleazeball. They move on to another case of a mother worried over her missing son, but he assumes that he's probably just passed out in some beer can somewhere. He sees this as another opportunity to squeeze out some cash, boasting they're gonna do a road trip and rack up tons of expenses. They arrive at a nondescript house, and based on how it appears, nobody is home. They don't have a key, but there's no need, as the mom informed them of a broken back window. They bust their way in, and immediately hear the buzz of static. They then find the source as they come to another stack of TVs in the main room. There's one taped out marked X, along with several photos of an older man on the mantle, and what looks like fresh blood on the wall. Hmm. He tasks her to check out the drives and make sure to record everything. That's part of the deal. While he searches the rest of the place, she clicks through the computer and finds footage of the wraparound from the first film. This means that the previous tapes have now been spread even further and also starts to connect the worlds of the movies together. They are all part of the same story. She also notices that the webcam is still rolling and in the bedroom, he discovers more stacks of tapes along with another TV. Kid was obsessed, it looks like. She pulls up another video featuring the kid Kyle they're searching for and it sounds as though he has been sucked into this world of violent videos. He spills that he's found the new one that he got from some guy in a pawn shop and the guy didn't even know what he had. Larry then finds a bunch of journals out and flips through the pages and doesn't notice someone passing behind him. Who's that? Aisha sticks in the X tape, also not seeing the guy appearing behind her. In our first sale, Herman is outfitted with a high-tech eye implant after losing one in an accident. Just after the surgery, he is having some trouble with his new eye, his vision still blurry and shadowy. The doc is confident, however, that once his brain gets used to it, its functionality will improve, but warns that he might see some glitches. As for what that means exactly, they aren't even sure either, as it's a very new and very rare operation. Thusly, the KPG company will be recording everything for now. A fair trade of his sweet, sweet personal data in exchange for a new eye. In the lobby, he passes by a girl that gives him a weird knowing look, but he doesn't seem to recognize her. He gets a ride home to his swanky yet messy place and settles in to play some video games. He fetches some tea in the kitchen and strangely finds that his controller has somehow 
somehow moved from where he left it, and then something crashes back in the kitchen. He gently puts the tea kettle on the stove and glances around to make sure no one else is there. He later gets ready for bed, and when retrieving his robe, sees a disturbing sight. It appears that someone is in his bed. The eye begins to glitch out as he reaches for them, and pulls back the sheets, exposing nothing there. Not quite, as he turns and almost runs right into a ghostly guy in a suit. He calls the doctor to complain about what he saw, barking he knows the difference between weird lights and a bloody person, and demands they fix the problem immediately. He hears more eerie sounds, and then there's creaking in another room. The lights flash, now seeing a ghostly little girl there as well. There's bangs on the window, and the girl is back, smiling eerily at him. He flees to the bathroom, and the bangs continue, him weakly telling him, thank you, you can go now. Somehow that doesn't work, but eventually these sounds do cease. His heart races, and he seems to lose consciousness, coming to in the morning in the bathtub. He cautiously opens the door, and there's no sign of the ghost, but man, he really needs to tidy up around here. He exhales in relief, and passes out on the floor, waking up several hours later to the doorbell ringing. It's that same girl from the hospital, and he attempts to turn her away, but she interjects, asking if he's been seeing weird stuff, like dead people. This is enough for him to let her in, and she introduces herself as Clarissa, asking if he has any beers or painkillers. He's still standoffish, saying that he has to go, but she gravely states he won't be going anywhere if he doesn't listen to this. She has a relatable story to his own, as she was born deaf, and when she was a teenager was given a prosthetic hearing aid. It worked, but as a result, she began to pick up weird frequencies. So while he can see spirits, she can hear them, asking about the little girl that she heard crying upon arrival. The reason that she's here is to warn him about his new ability. The spirits can sense that he can see them, and the more that he interacts with them, the more intertwined they become, meaning the spirits can actually touch and even hurt him. Uh-oh, wonder where this is going. Especially after hearing all this, Herman vows to get the eye out first thing in the morning. But as she says, that won't get rid of the ghosts. They'll still be there. He just can't see them anymore. He's then startled by another ghost appearance, which it turns out is her creepy uncle. Luckily, she has a surefire solution to make him go away, telling him to focus on her as they get down to business. In the morning, he addresses the company watching him, demanding they get him a copy of that footage, but don't watch it first, you creeps. They already did watch it, so you don't have any privacy. You put the eyeball in there. It's kind of on you, buddy. In the bedroom, the figure is back under the sheets, and he hopes that it's Clarissa. He begrudgingly pulls the sheets back, and the little girl is there. In the hall, something drags Clarissa away and throws her into the pool. He keeps trying to reach for her, and she is pulled away by an invisible force. They both flail under the water, unable to reach the surface, and she soon drowns, but he makes it to the top, gasping for air. There's a distorted growl from the pool, followed by a large Splash. Like there's some other kind of weird demon thing here, we'll never see it though. The dad and daughter are there holding hands, and he runs back to his bedroom. They corner him on both sides, and he returns to his favorite hiding spot in the bathroom. He elects to take matters in his own hands, grabbing a razor and proclaiming, you're coming out of there. He psychs himself up and jams a blade into his eye, causing the image to get all blurry. Yet even with it removed, the family is still there waiting for him. Dad pins him down and shoves the eye down his throat, getting a POV of his insides on the way down. There's quite a bit left vague in this story, like what does the company think about all this weird footage they're getting? But there is one thing that's major we can piece together. Clarissa casually asks Herman if he's ever done anything bad. He doesn't answer, but it stands to reason that the accident he was in resulted in the deaths of the man and his daughter. Thusly, they were seeking revenge on Herman for what he had done. The tape finishes and she relays what she saw to Larry, but doesn't believe that it was real. As for the computer, she's in the middle of cloning his hard drive right now. She continues the video with Kyle, and he explains a bit more about the deeper story starting to develop here. 
He initially thought it would only work playing the tapes in the correct sequence, and she pauses before he says more. But it makes it sound like he's figured out the curse behind these tapes. Somehow the analog tapes are actually able to capture the supernatural on them, and thusly leaves the spirits behind on the tapes. She then puts in another one, as the guy gets ready for what he thinks will be a lovely bike ride in the park. He gets a call from his annoyed girlfriend. They were supposed to go out for breakfast, but the call of the bike was too much for him to deny. He cranks some techno music and barrels his way through the forest, but is stopped in his tracks by a crazed woman that runs out begging for help. She says it's her boyfriend, but she's not doing so well either, starting to vomit up some black liquid. Yeah, usually not a good sign. He hears a faint growling from the trees, and he grabs a big old stick for protection. A trio of zombies groan and hobble towards him. He returns to the lady who has now become a zombie herself. She leaps on him and gives him a good bite on the neck. He is able to take her out with a rock and the others start getting closer. He weakly runs off, coughing and screaming for help, his steps growing more shaky. He falls to his feet and wretches up some of that black bile and tumbles down a hill. After a few final painful steps, he succumbs to his injury, his breath coming to a stop. Soon after, a couple bikes up bickering about being lost. They find the biker's body and are horrified seeing that he was bitten, but foolishly approach anyway. They check his pulse and there's nothing there. The lady phones the authorities and the biker wheezes back to life, now a zombie as well. He goes for the guy, biting his cheek off, and then goes for the girl, but she is able to fight him off and escape. The biker then amusingly gets acclimated to his new undead status. He licks some blood from his arm, eliciting a satisfied mmm at the taste. He then goes for a full-on arm chomp, but spits it out. Well, guess you can't eat yourself. He wheezes over to the other guy and hungrily gobbles off his fingers. He finds his wallet and keys and gives that a try too. No good either. More flesh, please. He's in luck when pulling up the guy's shirt and tears him open, feasting on his insides. Yummy yum-yums. The lady, now turned as well, joins him at the flesh buffet. Then he comes back to life and they all share an awkward stare. Ooh, sorry I was eating your insides, bro. So the three join forces, hearing more people nearby as they stumble off. It's a children's birthday party they happen upon, their appearance sending the place into instant chaos. The couple tackle a lady while another tries to fight off the biker with a bat. Another family hurries to their car and dad pokes them with some barbecue tongs. He gets to the safety of inside and Mike sees his own horrific reflection in the window. He looks back and a guy is waiting for him with a shotgun. He blows them all away one by one until he is inevitably overtaken. He looks over to one lady sobbing, left behind mourning over their loved one. He finds a teddy bear and innocently picks it up only to get mowed down by a car. In the fall, he butt dials his girlfriend who laughs at him for being such a goofball. The girl eyes him in terror. And obviously feeling guilty rather than eat her, he goes for the gun. He turns it on himself, clearly unable to reconcile with the mindless eating machine that he's become and blows his brains out. The tape concludes and Larry returns to check in. She's staring there blankly and doesn't even move until he puts a hand on her shoulder, also noticing that she has a bloody nose. The tapes are starting to have an obvious physical effect on her. Worried about her, he inquires if she brought her pills, but no dice. So he suggests to go to a drugstore to get her something, but does feel bad leaving her in the creepy ass place by herself. She sternly tells him to go. She doesn't feel like leaving, really looking like the tapes have entranced her. And she pops in our next tape, the one that is by far the best, not just of this entry, but the entire VHS series, also by far the longest. Before we move on to the next segment, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor, Dr. Squatch. With their full line of personal care products from soap, hair care, deodorant, and so much more, it's time to take your cleansing ritual to a whole new and more squatchy level. It's great as all of their products are made in the U.S. with ingredients that are 98% natural in origin. No one wants a bunch of extra weird ingredients in their products, and it's comforting that there's no harsh chemicals or synthetics, just the best of mother nature. They sent me a bunch of products to try out, including three different scents of 
soap. I, of course, had to try them all out, and it's fortunate, as I normally do shower three times a day anyway. They're all great, but my favorite had to be the Gold Moss. It left me feeling clean and smooth. None of that icky residue you get from other soap bars. No sir, Bob. And you don't stink anymore. Always a plus. If you're interested in trying out the line of Dr. Squatch products for yourself, you're in luck because they have a great deal. New Dr. Squatch customers receive 20% off when they spend $20 or more using promo code DSQENDING. That's DSQENDING when you click the link in the description below. We are introduced to a group of investigative journalists in Indonesia, and they have a pretty serious multi-camera setup, even with tiny, nearly invisible button cameras. They are trying to shed light on a secret religious cult in the area run by the mysterious leader. He rattles on about their compound being paradise, and is confident that he and his followers are getting closer to the promised gates into another plane of existence. They assume that he must mean in a spiritual sense, but he corrects, now, this is very real, not metaphor. It's here in this world and has already begun. Right now, they are on the precipice. They, of course, want to visit the compound, but the father shuts us down initially. Only believers are allowed and outsiders would see them as freaks. Lena chimes in, that's why they want their approval, so they can show an unbiased view of the family, no slant whatsoever, to for the first time show the truth behind their ideology. This does seem to convince them as we first cycle through security cameras all around the compound. There's a guy dragging two hefty bags, along with a class full of students and another ritual room adorned with the group's main sigil. Nothing seems too off until we visit the father at his desk and he begins to take a knife to his own skin. The crew arrive and meet with some lady representatives. A little girl, Lydia, gifts Lena with a necklace bearing their symbol. She's impressed by the little girl's craft works and she informs her that she's not a little girl anymore. But before she can say any more, Madam cuts her off. In the first room, there are several pictures of the group along with other larger sigils. The others joke if she wants one of the bigger ones and now creeped out, she quickly removes the gift. One thing they are particularly interested in are the children here. They are told there are 20 in total and whether literally or not are all considered the father's offspring. Weird too. They set him up for an interview and when getting mic'd, he notices some blood from his earlier cut on his finger. He informs Malik who makes sure the father is still up for this. He groans he's waited a long time for this and barks to just get started. Suddenly, Lena nearly hurls and tries to shake it off but has to excuse herself to the restroom. One guy, Adam, wants to check in on her and he dismisses that Madam will take care of her, but he follows after anyway. Malik kicks off with a challenging question, specifically his relationship to the children here. He aggressively asks him, what is his point? While out in the halls, Lena ventures into a classroom complimenting their drawings. The Madam enters, agreeing they are beautiful, but not as beautiful as hers will be. You will bear something special indeed, she tells her cryptically. The father declares that he is helping his followers onto a path of purity. What impurities, Malik asks, their children. They continue arguing and the father insists that he is blessing them, not harming them. The men in robes seek heaven in the sky, but not him. He looks ahead. For paradise is right in front of me and I have the keys to open the gate. He believes this world is only temporary and their questioning has to be put on hold when the batteries run out. Malik leaves to fetch some more and Joni takes his seat, the two sitting in uncomfortable silence. While digging through the gear, Malik happens to overhear a conversation between Lena and Adam of some serious importance over the video feed. She reveals not only is she pregnant, as the madam said, but isn't sure if it's Adam's or her fiance, Malik. Uh-oh, having an affair and now the beans have been spilled. Adam is exasperated and suggests they should take care of it. This makes her get pissed and curses him. No matter what happens, she doesn't need him. They end things in a huff and they both wander off. Back with the leader, Joni tries to speak up and the father shuts him up and tells him it's time. We will now reach our salvation. The final key to paradise is yours. Adam then finds another area with plastic drapes covered in blood. The father continues, ordering them to drink every last drop and stand as angels of purity. Joni again tries to get a word in and father threatens him with a box 
box cutter. Adam pulls back the tarps, and the room's walls and floor are totally stained in blood, also finding a dead body there draped in a sheet. He pulls it back, revealing a woman underneath. He slowly starts to replace it, and she shrieks to life, even though her belly is completely torn in half, as we see. The father keeps preaching, and unbuttons his shirt, seeing as carve their symbol into his flesh. He leaps over the desk, going for Joni with the blade. He stabs him in the throat, and viciously slices it completely. He appears pleased, wiping his face, and begins to cheerily hum, doing a little march around the room. Lena attempts to film the classroom, and the teacher shuts her out, coming to the madam along with another group of women here to collect her. Adam continues fumbling his way through the building, and now finds that the entire classroom is all dead. He shall provide, until we meet again, my brothers. Let us say goodbye. As we close this prayer, Father concludes, Malik rushes inside at the worst possible time, coming to a bunch of cult guys that blow out their brains all at once. Another guy tries to get away and gets blasted by another. He shoots at Malik, and the two get into a tussle. More and more guys appear, and he's too slow to reload as they overtake him. Adam does make it outside, but Malik screaming for help sends him back in. Hearing gunshots along the way, by the time he finds him, all the others are dead. Only Malik is left. Adam weakly tells him sorry just before he gets splattered. The killer tells him that it's been an honor and takes himself out. With only Lena left, he hears her screaming nearby. The women are yowling and carrying her in a quite frightening image. The whole procession led by a bloody leader singing triumphantly. Adam almost gets spotted, but the father urges them to keep on their journey. She's whisked into another room, and Adam retrieves a pipe. But before he can do anything, the power whirs down, and an explosion blows out from the other room. We see someone strangely crawling on all fours on the ceiling, growling as they scamper away. The father stands amongst a ring of candles, smirking that he doesn't need that anymore. He begins to wheeze and gasp, then explodes into a balloon of blood. Woo, didn't see that coming. He finds all the other women holding Lena down on a ritual table, screaming and wide-eyed. Adam pulls at their hands to break their grasp, and in some cases actually tears them clean off. He makes his way around to each until she's free. She screeches to get it out of me, and a force pulls her back on the table. He lifts her shirt, seeing her stomach now has the group's runes scrawled all over her skin. A spiked horn rips through her skin, and a head begins to emerge. As the creature continues emerging, Adam comically slips on the blood as he freaks out and flees. Navigating back through the building, Airhorn's sirens blare. He spots Joni, but he's turned into a wide-eyed zombie just like the ritual ladies. He fights him off and see that all the group basically died and came back, the kids turning to face him, now all sporting white eyes. He looks back and the big goat dude is not far behind. He runs into a whole gaggle of goons and then a resurrected Malik. He growls and attacks him, Adam retaliating by bashing his head on the wall. The demon roars, hearing its heavy rattling footsteps right on his tail. He gets to his car but finds it locked, so he smashes the window, looking like he's completely losing his mind out of pure fear. Can't really blame him there. He starts it up and speeds away, still hearing the demon's bellow. It surprises him with a ram from the side, which flips the car. He comes to, hearing the demon moving in the area. It steps shaking the entire car. He peekaboos right over the top, and the beast speaks, clearly calling him Papa. Well, I guess that clears up who got her pregnant. Adam breaks completely with this revelation, beginning to sob and laugh at once with snot and spittle streaming down his face. We don't really get too much detail-wise on the cult, but it definitely appears that the father is trying to breed a child to act as a vessel to bring their demon leader back into physical form. It was, as the father claimed, there is a world beyond our plane, which he seems to have accessed in the end there, creating a new army of undead followers. Too bad the guy exploded after all that work. Thanks for nothing, demon man. Jeez. And as far as the inspiration behind the story, it certainly is mostly an homage to the Jonestown Massacre, where their leader got his followers to drink a poison drink, resulting in the largest amount of deaths in cult-related history. We return to Kyle's house, and Larry is back with some aspirin finding her passed out on the floor. He calls out for help for some reason. Who are you yelling to? I'm not sure. He shanks her, not understanding why she did this, with tears in his eyes. Right next to
sewer is a tape marked axe and another teasing him to watch. Hmm, don't mind if I do. Our final tale is a little goofy and features aliens once again. Fortunately, they are massive improvement look-wise over the kids in shirts and black guys from the first one. Woof. It also is clever as most of the POV is from a camera mounted on a dog's back. Two siblings are playing robots and pretend to capture and eat their dog tank. Their dad playfully sprays them with a hose to stop the shenanigans. The parents are going out for the evening, leaving them with a chore list and make sure to leave their sister alone. She's supposed to be studying. Yeah, right. They scoff after that her boyfriend will be here just as soon as they leave and it is as they suspected. The bros meet up with some other friends of theirs with a plan to prank Jen. What better way than to load up on piss balloons and water guns? They make their surprise attack at the dock, drenching them with the guns and balloon bombs. Alarmingly, while briefly under the water, there's a glimpse of an alien creature floating there. They continue the pranks later, spying on Jen and her boyfriend fooling around in bed. They storm in with techno music and click the lights repeatedly, chanting, making babies over and over. Out of nowhere, a loud noise and light emanates and the entire room shakes. Her boyfriend is pissed, telling all the kids that he's gonna rip their dicks off. They hide outside and are drawn to a series of flashing lights out in the water, which must be where the ship is parked. They seem to think nothing of it and later all the boys are camped out in sleeping bags. Well, one, Randy isn't sleeping. He's busy diddling his doobery and his sister sees the opportunity for some revenge. They get the camera back on the dog and send him over to the lustful lad. Knowing that he's caught, he demands they give it back. This could ruin his life, he screeches. His hormones are gonna have to wait as the light beam returns, leaving everyone wondering what is going on. They notice a group of figures gathered at the windows and decide to grab their dad's gun. They hope it's another prank, but not so much. Zack is annoyed, asking for them to stop playing around. There's a whoosh and he's flung out of sight as a gaggle of alien creatures emerge and snatch them all up quickly. We follow Gary and Tank trapped in a blanket that begins to fill with water, really emphasizing their ship must be under the surface. The dog wrangles its way out as they become completely submerged. Jen retrieves the pup and Randy groans that he needs to go to the hospital, noticing that he has been marked. Gary floats up and they get him out of the water, but find that he's not breathing. An alien appears and begins crawling towards them on the dock undetected. The light blasts and Gary spits up water just in time for them to get away. They take cover watching as a trio of aliens stalk around and thanks to tank barking brings them right to their hiding spot. There's a moment of hope when it appears that the cops have shown up just as the aliens are almost upon them. They run out to flag them down seeing the blue and red flashing lights but then there's another loud bang and just like that they're gone. Hmm, must have some kind of laser blaster thing on the ship or something. They hoof it to a nearby barn and lock the door but the aliens are in hot pursuit banging on the door. The other door swings open to even more aliens and they scuttle to a ladder. Jin is unable to make it as the group overwhelms her and drags her away. He ascends into the attic and they roar busting the door open. There's nowhere to hide this time. There's another loud whooshing and Gary is sucked right up in the air through the roof. He screeches for Tank to not let go. Unfortunately he loses his grip and Tank plummets to the ground whimpering which soon ceases. Kind of a bummer ending there but it does seem like Tank dies. I'm like why would you even include that in what has been a pretty goofy short otherwise? I mean it is pretty obvious what happens in the end. They all get abducted or killed or whatever right? Also worth pointing out there were a lot of those alien dudes around. Woo. This one is pretty slight overall and of course has the difficult task of following Safe Haven. Just not terribly memorable. However, there's still the conclusion of our wraparound that hints at the continued spreading of the cursed VHS tapes and thusly more death. Larry hops on the computer and plays the rest of Kyle's message from earlier. In other words, I'm ready, he says, and even his mom supports his decision. It's time for me to make a tape for myself. He puts a gun to his chin, thanking everyone for watching and blows off his jaw. He then reemerges a few moments later, his jaw pretty much gonzo, 
This more directly relates to the old guy in the first one. He must have, just like Kyle, been studying the tapes. And once you yourself become a part of it, if you die, you come back to life to then take out others that experience the tapes later. We see that this pertains to our PI couple as they walk in the room for the first time, connecting us back to the beginning. His webcam was recording back then, remember, as well. Also meaning that the PIs have become part of the ever-expanding curse. They're on the tape where Kyle killed himself. Larry is focused on the tape, and Aisha's hand twitches back to life. She springs up and snarls, attacking him. He gets the upper hand and snaps her neck, but that doesn't even slow her down, now crawling around with her head twisted on all fours. Yeesh! He holds up in the closet, peeking out through the crack as she frighteningly skitters by. He cocks his gun as she keeps darting back and forth. She gets right up in the crack, and he pops off his shot. That's not his only problem, however, as he squints into the dark closet, and Kyle is there waiting for him. He grabs Larry's throat and chokes him until taking him out. Satisfied with claiming his first new victims, Kyle gives a hearty thumbs up to the camera as it cuts off. And the curse continues to spread onwards. With that, we reach the conclusion of this video explain on VHS 2. But don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of VHS 2 and its story? Which is your favorite of the bunch? Obviously, safe haven. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.